Storm, welcome to the Thank show. You. Appreciate you being here. I appreciate being here. So, in a nutshell, this is, let me start with that first, because I'm always ready to start the conversation, right? Yeah. 103.5 FM, WNHH, newhavenindependent.org. This is the show, and I have the good fortune of being its host. My name is Michelle Turner. As you just heard... I have New Haven's preeminent artist <laughs> known as Catro Storm. Again, good evening to you. Thanks so much for showing up. Thank you for having me. This is a treat for me because I've been thinking about you coming on the show for some time. But every time I think about it, something else would happen and then I'd have to end up getting another guest. So I'm glad we finally connected. Me too. So... Give us a little background, because I think most people are familiar with you from doing the mural on the library, the Stetson Library on, in the Dixwell neighborhood. Uh, yes. Uh, how far back do you want to go? I want to go as far back as possible, because you're a graduate of... ECA. Uh -huh. I want the ECA. Um, I mean, we could start at ECA. We can start at ECA, but... Or you can go back as far as my earliest memory. Well, let's talk about that because what drew you to art? Well, I had older siblings that could draw mm -hmm. and uh, my family used to sit down and watch uh, a TV show called good times. Mm -hmm. And my family was kind of similar to good times. And um, I was very fond of JJ who was a great artist who's, the, whose artwork was Ernie Barnes. I didn't know yeah. that at the time. Yeah. But um, he, I wanted to be like JJ. I wanted to be funny, and I wanted to make art. I wanted to be paint. And my older brother, my older sister, uh, were also used to draw very well. Mm -hmm. And my brother used to sit down, and he, he'd draw. And uh, when he was done, I used to take his drawings, and I used to try to copy his drawings. And that was time consuming. So that sort of kept you away from quite a few things, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, it kept me out of trouble. Well, mm -hmm. I, you know, you, you know, art has always been my passion. For whatever reason, there's, there's so many things that, you know, just made me gravitate towards art. There's no one thing. It was a, a bunch of things. Yeah, that influenced you. So when was it that somebody said to you, you're an artist? How old were you? Do you remember? Uh, vaguely, mm -hmm. but there's a couple of stories. Okay. Okay. Uh, one story is my father was a janitor at Yale. Mm -hmm. And on snow days, he would bring me to work because we didn't have a babysitter for me. So I would go to work with him. And to keep me from getting in his way, he knew that I used to like to draw. And he would sit me on the stairs and get me a pencil and paper and I would sit at the I think it was the law office building mm -hmm. and I would draw the stained glass windows and the students walking by you know would you know get excited and say wow look at this cute little kid and he's <laughs> drawing and wow look at the drawing and you know it got to the point where they would give me a dollar or they had certain windows that they would get they would have me um would have me draw and uh that was the first time I started, you know. Making money and well, people recognizing yeah. that it was something worth looking at, having, appreciating your talent, right? Right. So that really was like, you know, motivation because back then, I'm dating myself a little bit, but back then potato chips were like 35 cents a bag. Right. So if someone gave you a dollar. Get you know, two you get, couple, a couple of bags. You get potato chips or soda and still right. have change. Right. So, you know, I would, you know, I, that was one of the things that was motivating me. And every now and then I'd get someone that would give a $5 bill. And I didn't even know what to do with it. I'd just give it to my father. <laughs> yeah. So 
what drove you to ECA? Um, well, I had heard about it, mm-hmm. but I, it was just, it was kind of like hearing about Louvre. It's just, it was so right. far away from me, and I didn't know anyone that went to ECA. And I ran into this guy named Bill Freeman. And Bill Freeman approached me about ECA. And he told me, he says, oh, you, you know, he was telling me, he was complimenting me and telling me how, you know, how talented I was. And he told me about ECA. He brought me a couple of applications. I first got rejected. He told me to try again and gave me, you know, a couple of pointers on what I should do. Mm-hmm. And um, and I got accepted. And, uh, you know, that, all it she wrote. Up, and yeah, and that opened up a lot of doors. All of a sudden, you know, I've always been, you know, art is all, the art teachers have always been nice to me. And, mm-hmm. Well, most art teachers. So I've always, you know, loved art and, you know, this situation, you know, I was always the best kid in the class, one of the best kids at, you know, making art, drawing, whatever. And I got a little intimidated because these were like kind of like the best of the best from all over the state that went to this school and I got a little intimidated. But uh, I got over that pretty quick. Well, you know, you kind of, Felt your own art. And and what I mean by that is you probably said to yourself, you know what? First of all, they're here with me. That's the first thing. And secondly, my stuff looks just as good or better than theirs. Absolutely. That's definitely the, the thing. Mine was just as good or better, but that wasn't what made me feel comfortable. What made me feel comfortable is I was always my authentic self, just to mm. put it that way. Okay. Yes. And uh, and I was around other kids that were their authentic self. So it was, I was able to. Not everybody's going to be an athlete or a rap star, right? You know, and right. I was able to be myself and who I was, and and kids there were everyone you know, was was themselves. There was a lot of punk rockers back then. This was like. Uh, the, the the mid to late eighties, okay. so everyone was punk and Public Enemy as Jets came out, and uh, it was a it was a cool time to be at ECA. Yeah, so, so I I started opening up, making new friends, and you know, and that was uh, you know, it that be, opened it became, some doors. Yeah, it became it became it became really my home. I sometimes didn't want to leave the school, mm. you know, and what we'd hang out with friends and we'd go downtown and walk around, and it was a great school. For a lot of reasons. I mean, it opened, uh, opened, it made it, it made me okay. It made it okay for me to be exactly who I was. Because mm-hmm. I was always a little unique. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. so after ECA, what did you end up doing? What uh, direction did that take you in? It took me to Boston. And I uh, ended up going to uh, the Art Institute of Boston. I got accepted to a bunch of schools, but this school gave me a, a, a full scholarship and a handwritten letter, and um, so I ended up going there. And I didn't know the importance of a handwritten letter. I thought they were just being lazy and didn't want to type it. <laughs> and my teacher at the time, Anna Bresnik, was like, we never had a student get a handwritten letter. And I was like, oh, and I, and I figured out that was a good thing. But I ended up going up there, and... and uh, and that school was great. The foundation year was great. But I started, once I got up there, there was a school called a museum school. And I uh, started noticing that that school was a lot like ECA as far as the the look of the school. It was a school that catered to fine art. Yeah. Now, for some bizarre reason, instead of me getting into commercial art or some sort of, you know, illustration or graphic design, I wanted, you know, I, I was more into the fine art thing. Mm-hmm. So I went for it and I got accepted into that school. And uh, that school was expensive and they wanted, and everyone seemed to have so much money mm-hmm. and, uh, and I didn't. So I was like, Oh, so I, instead of going to class, I, I hung out a lot at, at that school. And, uh, because you didn't have to go to class because they basically treated you like a professional artist. Right. They graded you on the work that you 
produced and they sit down, they would have a review board. So I didn't think about it. I just hung out and I went to all, a lot of different classes now. Right. I go into different, a portrait class one day or a welding class another day or a glass uh, blowing class mm-hmm. or whatever it was at that time. And, um, and I, you know, I, but because I didn't want to get caught up in, I didn't want people to know that I didn't have the money mm. to, you know, because they'd give you a list of things you needed to bring to class. And, you know, I was struggling for food. Right. So I just so was your, like. So your focus was a lot different than the average students. Right. Because a lot of those kids had everything they needed. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up uh, adapting in my own way, which was basically bouncing around to a lot of different classes. But here comes you know, the review board, and I didn't know what to expect. But I knew I could draw really well. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I could uh, paint quick in black and white because I grew up on comic books, and I used to be okay. really into wood cutting, And so I knew there's certain things that I knew I could do, but I felt like it was I would make more of an impression if I paint bigger. So I had a friend that worked at Utrecht, and... um Every day, he would leave some art supplies out back for me because apparently he unloaded the trucks. So every day on my walk home from school, I would grab this art supplies to the point where I built up a bunch of art supplies. And then it came down to the last seven days before my review board. And, you know, I painted uh, seven, five feet by four uh, large scale of black and white paintings of whoever I wanted. Yeah. And um and I the, the next problem was how am I gonna get these things to school? <laughs> I didn't I didn't have Yeah, because I'm so I'm sitting here thinking about oh. I'm like, okay, they're huge. So are they already on campus and you left them somewhere or I was good at stretching campus. No, I um You no, actually no, had to no, bring I had a them. studio. I had a loft. I lived in a loft in the south end. Okay. Um which I lucked on. That's a whole nother story. Had a great loft, um, and I went. I had to walk from Randolph Street. I forgot the exact address, but Randolph Street in the South End to um, basically Fenway Park, mm-hmm. which is where the museum school was located. And I started out. I'd walk one to the end of the street, walk the other to the end of the street, and I said, "I'm gonna just keep doing that until I get there." And one of my neighbors. Um, saw me doing that and he, he had a truck and he had a vintage store. Wow. And he seen me doing that and he asked me, what are you doing? I was like, I got to bring these paintings to school. And uh, he loaded them in his truck and um, and brought me to school. And I went to school with him and I helped me unload them. And then as I was bringing them into school, I could see the look on people's faces. And I I knew at that moment that, you know, you had done hit. something, yeah. yeah. Did something. It did something special. Yeah, and uh, and it and it and it and it worked out for me. People were so excited about these paintings that I didn't. I thought I was, I thought I was really getting over. I was like, ah, oh, you know, I just paint them big. I paint them in black and white. Right. I, it's easy, and I'll just paint all the people I want to paint. You know, Eldridge Cleaver, uh, Frederick Douglass. I painted Farrakhan. I painted uh, the sit-in. I mean, I, I painted a bunch of just people. Uh, H. Rap Brown. I painted a bunch of people that I wanted to paint. And uh, based off of books that I've read mm-hmm. and images that I've I collected. And um, and it just happened to work out for me. And after that, you know, everyone seemed to uh, look at me, not as a slacker just sitting around and doing nothing, but everyone started to treat me like an, an, a real a artist. A real artist. Yeah. Or what you would consider a real artist, exactly. right? Exactly. Exactly, not like a slacker or right. Just inviting me to the to the next party. They started actually letting me know about exhibits going on, and I, that that's how it. I got into going to exhibits because you know I got wine and cheese. Ah. So I opened up another gate. So I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, art opening. So I started going to art openers. I got mm-hmm. to look at great art and uh, indulge in some wine and cheese and sometimes it was something fancy and uh and that's you know and that was that was that chapter but you ended up going to new york right correct i went to new york because 
someone who I met in Boston. Because a couple people, after this exhibit went down, uh, a lot of people got started to look at me as an artist, and they started. I started getting commissions. Mm. I was always selling my work. People were always willing to buy something from me. But they started wanting to spend thousands of dollars. And that and I was thinking, here I am struggling in school, starving, and now somebody's offering me an opportunity to go to New York and do a painting. So I got an opportunity to do a painting of Slick Rick, seven feet by five wow. in oil. And that led to all sorts of all things. All sorts of things. Because New York, everyone, you know, right. people have a different respect for the arts. And people spend money on arts, which I had, you know, I'm used to people trying to get something for free. Right. And now all of a sudden, you know, people are like, you know, thinking they're, you know, being lowballing me by offering me a, 500 bucks or a thousand bucks. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, because you really hadn't experienced the other level at that point, right? Right, right, right. I hadn't hadn't seen it. And um and so basically I ended up staying in New York for about 10 years and uh living off my art and doing all sorts of this all sorts of adventures, meeting all sorts of people, people, artists, uh you know, I I was part of the nightlife, mm-hmm. the art life, uh, hanging out with some very cool, talented legends, mm-hmm. and uh, because people are accessible in New York, right? Um, right. You know, you can walk down the street and end up in a conversation with you know who knows who knows and who knows? people. You know, you could be basically. You could meet anyone in New York and they'll talk to you. You know, you know, people uh, are much more relaxed about being celebrities in New York. You know, people up here can be a local star and they don't return your phone call. Mm-hmm. You know, you can end up, you know, I I was hanging out with John McEnroe, which is a strange story because I didn't even <laughs> think he was the real John McEnroe. I knew he had basket painting. Uh. And he would let me in and I'd, I hung out with him for years and... Till I had this weird run-in with the New York Times that did this article on me, and I realized at that moment I was really hanging out with the real John, John McEnroe. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, because I would have, you know, I would have showed him a little bit more respect, right? Instead you know? of, but obviously he dug it, right? He did, and I would bring my friends over. He put out <laughs> wine and snacks, and we just hang out, and you just hang out, right? Unannounced, uh, two in the morning. Just knock on his door, ring his doorbell. If I seen his light on, I think he lived on Green Street. Uh huh. I mean, there was a lot of that, that stuff like that that happened often. But you know, New York is uh, definitely a trip. So, what brought you back? Well, a few things. One one thing was uh, my sister had gotten ill, mm-hmm. and my father had gotten ill, and my mother. Didn't want to put my father in a convalescent home, but she was struggling. And my sister had passed away, and my mother didn't want to put, she was having, struggling with my father, and she didn't want to put the kids in a foster care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was a no brainer for me. It was like, I was like, you know, I, I'm on I, my love, way. I, I love my family. So I just dropped everything and, and just came. And, uh, and you've been, been back how long since? now? Oh man, I don't even know. <laughs> a long time. A long time. Now I can't I can't leave. Why? Why uh, can't you leave? Well, situations are different. Mm-hmm. When I lived in New York, uh, my for a two bedroom apartment, I paid six fifty. Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. I mean, six fifty is probably almost what they charge for you to get in. Right. For a cab now. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, you definitely ain't getting an apartment. Yeah, not in Manhattan, not anywhere, not, not any anywhere. in the boroughs, right? Nowhere. Yeah. I'm trying to find the article with your artwork in it. And I had it and I lost it. So that's okay. what I've been looking for. So please don't deem me rude. No. But you've got, mm-hmm. well, first of all, 
when you came back, mm -hmm. one of the projects that you did was the Stetson Library. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And how long did that take you? Um, I don't exactly remember how long it took me. Um, a lady by the name of Margaret Bodell had contacted me, and someone had gotten a grant. Um, I forgot the name of the grant, but it's, mm -hmm. I think it's the governor's grant or the may mayor's grant is what I think it was called. Um, I'm not going to name names, but some people got a grant and they were supposed to do a project and they got the money and they, and whatever happened, mm -hmm. uh, they called, they called me in to get on board. So I, I got on board and I worked with some students from Hill House um, and we, uh, we finished we finished the mural, uh, and Diane Brown was instrumental in making it all go down. And mm -hmm. we ended up with a, you know, they made a buck out of it, and it was, you know, it was a beautiful thing. It actually exposed me to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. And um, and really, I was just trying to finish the project and work with. I like working in the community anyway, and I like working with kids. Yeah, in, in the community, and so you know, it was a labor of love. It's what it was in so many ways, yeah. yeah. So I was, you know, yeah. it, was, it introduced me to a lot of people that ended up being my, you know, my friends forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, you know, I, you know, it opened a lot of doors. So now, you have a project at the Slade House. Well, it used to be. It's called Eli. The Eli Center, spelled with an I instead of a Y. Okay. Um, Center of contemporary arts and that was this is my current project um and basically because of the the seven paintings i painted in seven days at the museum school you know over the years i've been working as um i've been doing a lot of commissions mm -hmm. which i'm grateful for people want me to paint them uh pop icons their family, family portraits, wedding portraits, hmm. whatever. I paint, you know, whatever you throw in front of me, I never you say do no. It. I'll find out if I can't do it after I started it because <laughs> I'm going to go for it. And usually I can pull it off. But um, so I started feeling a little, you know, I feel like I was getting away from who I was. You know, I'm not in New York. I'm not in Boston. I'm right. in Connecticut. Right. And now I'm doing, a. I mean, I'm grateful to, and lucky to have people who want me to do paintings for them. So I'm, I'm grateful. But I felt like that I wasn't being true to myself. Like when, when I made the decision to go from the Art Institute of Boston to go to the museum school, mm -hmm. I, um, I was being my authentic self. And so... I started thinking about that. I was listening to that. I forgot the name of the artist, but he has a song about zipping up his boots, going back to his roots. Uh -huh. And I said to myself, that's what I need to do. So the point where the turning point in my career was that museum school situation and carrying those paintings in. And the it just opened up so many doors. Yeah. Being my authentic self. So yeah. I said, that's what I need to do. So... Um, Debbie Hess, a, a good friend of mine, um, started working at this place and she, we and her had a, a couple conversations and, you know, I told her, you know, what I wanted to do. You know, I kind of wanted to put myself on display, not just have these paintings ready to go. I wanted to show people I can, you know, you can do, do this the, from start to right. finish and I wanted to document it. I wanted to do a mini documentary. And um, to and I wanted people to be able to walk into the gallery and watch me actually working on these to see how I work and to watch. You know, they come in on Monday and they, you know, they see one stage and they come in on Friday and I see something a, else. And my thing is, I know that people were not going to believe that I could do this. And, and you got 21 days, right? I got 21 days. And uh, and the thing of it is, is. Ultimately, you know, is I had I I plan I planned this about three years ago. 
You know, wow. So, you know, because you know, it's not cheap to paint that size, and it, and it probably takes some real planning, right? Well, it definitely took planning because you know, I'm not a trust fund baby, right? So it, you know, you come across things, you get things, you know, you get end up with art supplies here, art supplies there. You get a little extra money, you go buy it. You know, Michaels is having a two for one sale. You go buy yeah. a couple canvases. So over the years, but it was always in my mind to do. I didn't just come up. I silently had this game plan in my head, and I kept it pretty much to myself because New Haven is a small town, right? And when you leak things out, there's somebody who's more fortunate than you that can take your concept and put it in motion. Mm-hmm. So I quietly had this plan for about three years, but when Debbie gave me the opportunity. Um, she told me, you know, what I could and couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on what I could and couldn't do, it was more than enough for me to do what I had to do. So I went in there, I laid the tarp down, bought the paintings, and a good friend of mine uh, helped me bring the paintings over. We brought them over pretty much four at a time. Uh-huh. On top of the roof of his car, he had one hand holding it. I had the other hand out the window holding it. And uh, we got the stuff there, and I just went to work. And, you know, it's funny because I know, like, they had an opening. But, you know, at the opening, I hadn't started yet. Ah, okay. I put an old painting of mine, a 15-foot painting of Miles Davis, because I like to paint big. I put that in there just sort of as uh, something for you to walk in and see instead of just seeing blank canvases yeah. in plastic. Yeah. You could see what it what it was. And I was actually out of town that day. So when I came back, I heard all the, you know, people that were skeptical. That mm. was that was part of the plan because I like when people lower the bar for me cuz I know what I could do. Right. So you know I, your capability. Right. Cuz I've been doing this my whole life. I didn't just wake up one day and say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to be an artist." Right. You know, art kind of chose me. And so I, you know, this has been the one thing that, you know, that I've, I'm able to do well and I'm comfortable doing it. So I knew what I could do. And I liked the idea that people were like, oh, he's never going to do it. Yeah. So I went in there and, you know, and I have been, also I have a collection of images that I've been collecting for years. Like, you know. What kind of images? Um, just images of people because, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much a portrait painter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I collect images, you know, images that I plan to use or images that look interesting. People like I'll, I hear I hear someone mention somebody in a song and I'm like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you got the Internet now and I'll Google it. And, right. And then I'll, you know, have it printed out and, you know, and I have just hundreds of pictures of just interesting people. So in choosing these 21 portraits, you know, I didn't, you know. I had already chosen, you know, I just picked which ones I thought would look good in the room together. Mm-hmm. So there's. So who's there? If you don't mind me asking, you give us a couple of people. Uh, I'll give you a couple because it's, a, it's right. a wide range of, of people. folks. Like, you know, I have someone like Lauren Hill. Mm-hmm. I have uh, someone like Miles Davis, uh, Michelle Obama, but I also have someone like Larry Davis. And yes, Mason. and that's what I was looking for because I wanted to ask you about that. Okay, because one of the one of the pictures that I saw when you were working that somebody took had Larry Davis in the background, mm-hmm. and I said, "How many people really know who that is?" And the havoc that he caused in New York City, and the mm-hmm. fact that you're bringing him to life, right, is just. You know, in a in a time where I think slowly we're beginning to embrace ourselves as African Americans and what it is to be African American in this country, we're embracing ourselves. I think, in my eyes, more than we ever have. You know, we've had Obama as president, and we I don't think we took it for granted. But we sort of looked at it as being the next step. And I think with all of the things that have happened since the new president has come in. Right. 
have made us kind of surround ourselves and say, okay, we need to probably look out for each other. We probably need to show each other a little bit more love. We need to really have these dialogues and see where everybody's coming from and be kinder in those dialogues and not, you know, put you down because you think a different way or the fact that you do things this way and I do them this way makes me right and you wrong. I think I'm beginning to see, especially with the young people, uh, a really kind of outstretched arms and sort of, you know, an open door to come in, sit down, tell your story. Let's hear about who you are. And we're all of the same community. We all don't have to be on the same page to be of the same community. And so when I saw Larry Davis, I was, it just, it just blew my mind because again, I don't think people, there might be people my age who would remember Larry Davis, but as a rule, we haven't talked about Larry Davis in a really long time. So I thought that picture would definitely bring about dialogue because in all of the, the people that you have in the room, there are only going to be a few people who know who he is. So it becomes, who's that? And why is he here with all these people? And what, what, what is his significance? And for me, like I said, I was like, wow. So I was trying to bring up the picture on my phone. So what drew you to bring Larry Davis into this? Well, you said a key word earlier. You used the word community. And in a community, no matter whose community, no matter which community, you know, if you're in a grocery store or any community situation, you don't know who's in line with you. You don't know right. what they, but they, everyone has a story. And my idea was most people aren't going to know who Larry Davis is. But if I walk into Walmart, most people aren't going to know who I am. Right. You know? So my idea was to create a community of portraits that people aren't going to necessarily know. They're going to recognize one or two. Right. But most people, I want it to be, I want it to be my authentic self and things that I'm attracted to and things, for whatever my reasons is, I feel like I'm the person to paint a Pappy Mason or a Larry Davis mm-hmm. or a William Silk Perry or whoever because these are things that I am attracted to. You know, Martin Scorsese might be attracted to making movies like right. The Godfather or right. whatever it is that he wants to make. And, you know, as an artist, you know, me being myself, I have to, you know, I am a person that likes to be involved with the community. I like to be, yeah. you know, I like to be, because when I was coming up, I didn't have art heroes. I mean, my art hero was J.J. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he wasn't really reachable. And, you know, and as I got older, I did. I don't think I ever got a chance to meet Ernie Barnes, but I, how I found out about him is I stumbled into an, an art store mm-hmm. and they had J.J.'s paintings and, um, well, Ernie Barnes. Yeah, but and that's so, like I you said, out. that's how you found out. And I was like, oh, Ernie Barnes. And I was like, you know, I was excited about it. I think the one I, I seen was the Sugar Shack. Uh, yeah, which is, is that the Marvin Gaye painting? Uh, I think, I don't remember, but I think it's the one with, there's a pool player involved. Okay. All but, right. uh, anyway, you know, that was sort of the, my thing. My thing with Larry Davis is, you know, a lot of these people, there's part of myself in these people. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I'm not going to go out and get into a shootout, and I'm probably not going to be the first lady of the United States. Right. But my thing is, you know, there's something about these people that, you know, speak to me. And, you know, and there's times when I have had situations that I had to overcome, uh, and I felt like I seen myself in Larry Davis. I had a it was, I think the guy's name was Charles Stewart mm-hmm. up in Boston. He had said somebody had, um, a black guy had killed his wife. Right. And uh, right. shot him. Right. And I was going to school. I was a student in Boston at that time. And if you were black in that time, 
and walking around in Boston, you were going to get harassed by the police. I had, I, I had, you know, I had no a white idea. Roommate. Right. I, I, I mean, I went to a school, where, you know, where people accepted me. That I, I mean, we didn't have color conversations. You know, people were kind of, I mean, they're artists. They were like liberal, right. open-minded. Right. So I didn't have those issues. But walking home from school, I had those issues. You know, when I went to a store, I had those issues. Yeah, because you were in a community that accepted you, as you say, for your authentic self. Right. And so, therefore, in a lot of ways, all of those people had a commonality, which was art. And you sort of were in this bubble, right? Correct. Because you were, art was everything. Everything else, not so much. But definitely art was the common denominator. And so color didn't matter. Gender didn't matter. It was all about the work. It was all about the art. And once you stepped outside that bubble... I ran into some some things. And I had heard, you know, when I was choosing to go to school in Boston, I had an uncle, mm-hmm. my uncle, my uncle Otis, um, rest his soul. He told me that I was going to a Jim Crow uh, town. I didn't know what that was. I really didn't care. I was just excited. Mm-hmm. I was about to start the next chapter in my life. But that was the first time I had really experienced, like, cops treating me unfairly. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into it, but I got to understand how unfair they can be. And I'm, you know, I'm lucky that I didn't, you know, things could didn't go any, you know. Any further. Right. But I have, I started experiencing it. And, you know, but I, you know, I've always, I've had friends that were cops, had relatives that were cops. So I didn't, you know, say all cops are bad. Right. I, you know, I just said. You know, you judge people by their ways and actions, whatever they are, whoever they are. I never put them in a box. But when I had stumbled upon the Larry Davis story, um, well, I had everyone knew about it because it was all over the news. But, you know, I was in the past, so I had forgotten about it. And I think it was a, a Tribe Called Quest, mm. uh, the scenario uh, yeah. remix in, the, in Buster Rhymes at... Uh, uh, spoke about Spoken this guy about name and uh, whatever uh, uh, some art the guy na- name was the hood and he spoke about he was wild like Larry Davis and it brought Larry Davis back inside my world again and uh, so I started you know over the years doing a little research on him and you know finding out what happened to him in prison and some of the things and um, he was just constantly in my memory and in my thoughts, you know, I some of my daydreams, he was in them. And, you know, not to glorify crime or anything right. like that, but right. just because he's a member of my personal community, he's in my mind, he's he's someone relevant to me and um, for whatever. And he, you know, he he made the cut when it was time to, to do the 21 and 21 days, he made the cut. And, you know, I... There's a lot of people that didn't make the cut, and I. But uh, he he was he was someone he was who somebody out. who stayed with you. Right, right. So when do the twenty one days end? Well, they pretty much have ended according to the gallery, but because I didn't always have access to the gallery, uh. and I sort of tallied up the days because I've started, I have like twenty five going. Okay. But um because I didn't have access to the uh gallery, I have about 12 more days of painting mm-hmm. for my personal challenge. Mm-hmm. And um and some of those paintings I'm going to paint in my studio and some of them I'm going to be painting at the Stetson Library. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when is all that going to happen? Like is I've it possible? But is it possible for us to go to the Eli and see things? I or? think that show ends tomorrow. At wow. Eli. Okay. Because um, it was kind of a, you know, instead of it starting, it ended where it started. Okay. So something like that. But now when are you going to do something at the Stetson? Well, I'm always, you know. You're always. I, I, I love the Stetson. It's like the, 
it's like the current Q house right now. It's like okay. the center of New Haven. That's where people come. They share their cultures. Mm-hmm. I mean, they play. Ch- I mean, the Diane. There's has a that, lot going on there. She has that 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 particular library jumping. I mean, that's the place to be. So, I am whatever I can. I try to stay close to that place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that Diane and I have talked about some things that I'm not going to talk about at the moment. Oh, of course, I but, understand. You, know, that. you stay. You will be in the loop. But we do have a plan for these paintings. Okay. And you know they will be on display for people in you know the community to see. And I'm always available. You know, I'm someone who can reach out and touch. I'm not you know some imaginary person. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm available. I'm not like stuck up. Like I meet some people who have done some fantastic things within this community, uh-huh. but trying to talk to them, is kind of like trying to, to talk to, um, I don't know, Joe Namath or, you know, some, some, mm-hmm. somebody that you can't reach. And mm-hmm. it's like, I never wanted to be that kind of person. I want to, I want to make sure that people can reach. Reach out and touch me, talk to me, and you know, ask, ask me questions. questions. And you know, and it's funny too because some people don't understand that I, you know, my work is pricey. You know, well, uh, I think I think that's common with folks because people see artwork, right? And mm-hmm. if it's a local artist or if it's not in a museum, they're like, eh. How much could it possibly cost? You know, instead of looking at it from the standpoint that this is art. And for the blood, sweat and tears that the artist pours into this. And on top of that, you know, it's it's something that's supposed to be thought provoking. It's something that's supposed to. And then sometimes not. Art is sometimes in the receiver's mind, right? Absolutely. It's it's how you reflect on it and how you see it, but that in itself makes it so called pricey. Well, pricey to someone who makes a hundred thousand dollars a year is one thing, and Correct. pricey to somebody who makes twenty five thousand dollars a year is it's another different. thing. Absolutely, and that's kind of how I adjust things because. I want to be available to everybody. everybody. And, you know, there's certain things that somebody who can afford to spend, let's just say, five grand on a painting. Mm-hmm. There's certain things that I'm going to do as far as materials, as far as, you know, and somebody who might have had a, a a child that has been lost through gun violence or whatever, you know, I understand that they've already paid a price. Mm, yeah. And sometimes stuff like that I I might may do for free. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, I, you know, I'm sort of in control of how I, you know, distribute or, or price or whatever my art, which is a whole nother category. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Sure. So, most of us are probably going to miss the Eli, Mm -hmm. but do you have anything coming up, or is there anywhere that we can go and see your work? Well, I'm going to say I would start with Diane Brown. Okay. I was at the Stetson Library. I would say um, right now, there's not something I could tell you it's going to be here. Okay. You know, but I will tell you it will there it will be in the community one way or the other. Uh-huh. Um and uh and it will be available sometime this year. Absolutely sometime this year. Okay. Um probably before summer. Okay. All so right. Between now and spring. Okay. Ooh, that's close. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, well, Maybe summer. Maybe between now and summer. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, I know this is a question that most people would say you're not supposed to ask. 
But if you had a favorite piece of artwork, mm-hmm. what would it be? Hmm. A favorite piece of artwork. That you, know you the, have done. Well, that changes. Okay. Uh, currently, my favorite uh, piece would have to be... Uh, I have this Eldritch Cleaver. Uh-huh. And it was part of the original seven paintings that I did in seven days. And it's the only one that I have left. Wow. And uh, because, you know, it's hard to move these things around. And, you know, it has, you know, lasted since 1989. Hmm. So, you know, right now that's one that I kind of hold close to my heart. But my mother has a couple of pieces uh, that, you know, I was just basically trying to teach myself to paint. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I visit her, you know, I feel a little warm seeing these pieces that, you know, and, you know, looking at how I approach painting and seeing some of the same stuff that I'm painting with now, you know, so I... You I see your feel, own growth. I see my growth, but I see... That I'm still holding on to some things. Uh, I'm like, I still do that. Look at that. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I have that. That's what's that's you know, you know, my like I said, my 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 favorites, they kind of change from day to day. Even when I was working on these paintings, you know, I had certain days that, you know, there was certain like we you know one day I'm like, you know, looking at Lauren Hill and you know, feeling a connection to her. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I I'm here. I am looking at uh, let's see who else. Donnie Hathaway. Mm-hmm. That's another one. And it was I. I felt like I knew the man. You know, I got you know I got to the point where you know when I got ready to leave the gallery, I I actually even told him good night because <laughs> I you, you know, had developed yeah a relationship with. I mean, I just felt like you know. I wasn't listening to his music. I, you know, my iPod is all over the place, but it was just I felt like painting him. I felt like you know I, I got to know him, and uh, but you know, like I said, they they, they change every day. I mean, mm-hmm. and and that's what I'm trying to do. I want to, you know, I don't just want to paint a likeness, you know, because that, you know you could take a picture, you can right. get an image off the internet. I want to, I want to. When you look at my work, I want you to see. A soul behind the paint. I want you to feel like you know, there's some there's life in that painting that that you can connect to. It's not just an image or a, a copy or whatever. Mm-hmm. You want. I want you to feel like you know. I want you to stare at it. I want you to walk away. And when you're walking to your car, I want you to have flashbacks of some of these images. I want you to have conversations with your friends about the paintings. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's what I want. You know, I don't think, I don't, I know that not everyone's going to take a painting home. Right. And uh, it, with paintings that are five feet by four, most of them won't fit in your car. So I just want you to take that memory. I want you to get, get something. I want you to feel something. I want you to feel what I feel. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not just trying to, you know, run a marathon race or sprint or whatever. I want to paint something that you can feel that you could take with you that you know when you when you run into a situation you know for some weird reason you have a flashback of being in front of one of my paintings mm-hmm. you know i just that's i don't know if i got a little sidetracked on your question no it's okay that was good okay that was good that was perfect because we're gonna wrap up here okay all right okay but i am happy that you came in I'm sad that I'm going to miss the exhibit, but I'm sure there'll be other times and other spaces. Um, soon. Very soon. And I'm looking forward to that. So please keep me posted and please come back and visit. I will. Come back and Absolutely. visit. Especially after you get past what you got coming up. Because it'll be nice to have you back then. Okay. So we can talk about that. You know All what? Right? This is what I can do. Um, because I can't talk about some of the things that are going on because they, right? We're working out the the, the, the kinks, so the to kinks. speak. Um, when I before I 
announce what I'm doing, I'll come back and talk to you. That would we, be wonderful. And we'll, we'll, we'll take it from there. All right. Sounds good, sir. Well, thank, thank you, you. so much, Katro Storm, much. for being here today. I know this is your first radio interview. Right. You did a fantastic job. Thank you. <laughs> and this is the show on 103.5 FM WNHH, New Haven Independent. Thanks to Harry Draws, my Uber producer who always puts up with me making adjustments at the last minute. And you can hear the show again. Well, of course, you can see it all the time on Facebook. But you can hear the show again tomorrow, Thursdays. It runs 10 a.m. and then 6 p.m. So if you miss it now during the live portion, you can go back and look at it on the New Haven Independence Facebook page. You can also hear it stream tomorrow after Love Talk, Love Babs, my girl, Squatty, 10 a.m. And then again at 6 p.m. This is Michelle Turner. This is the show on WNHH 103.5 FM LP. Yes! Have you ever seen a show with fellas on the mic with one minute rhymes that don't come out right? They bite. They never write. That's not polite. Am I lying? No, you're quite right. Well, tonight, on the story mic, you're about to hear, we swear, the best star rappers of the year. So, so, cheerio, yell, scream, bravo. Also, if you didn't know, this is called the show.